This episode of the Klaus to the Heart podcast has been rated PG-14. Some language and dialogue may not be suitable for members of the family under 14 years of age. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Klaus to the Heart, Klaus to the Heart, Klaus to the Heart podcast. I'm Jason Klaus. I have opinions. Some people may agree with them. Some people may not. Life does not have to be overly complicated. Some of it is as simple as not being a butthole. This is probably going to get me fired up. You don't have to agree with me. That's perfectly fine. But there are people who do. There is a silver lining to just about anything that comes your way in life. We just have to look for it. This is the Klaus to the Heart podcast. Podcast. This is the Klaus to the Heart podcast. Powered by Anchor.fm. Hello everybody, I am Jason Klaus and you are listening to the Klaus to the Heart podcast powered by Anchor.fm. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this episode. On this episode, we are going to uh, switch gears and uh, not focus on the world around us. Instead, we are going to do a deep dive into another chapter in the history of the Michigan Wrestling Organization, which is, um, you know, it's going to be a wrestling-related topic, but it it delves into um, part of the history of my company. And, you know, it's going to be very personal, and uh, in some aspects, I would imagine it's going to be pretty emotional, uh, just given the the time that we are we are discussing we are going to talk about the um 1999 to 2000 which that time frame um really set a course of a of a dramatic overhaul for the entire company from the inside out and it is on this episode that we are that I'm going to tackle the um, infamous change of direction meeting that um, I had with the roster during the tail end of 1999 and uh, which would set the course for a historic year 2000 for our promotion. Um, there's going to be a lot of backstories here. There's going to be a lot of um, um, kind of setting the stages. Um, but this, you know, this is going to be a wrestling-related topic. You know, if you are not a wrestling fan, then I would suggest that this is probably not going to be an episode geared toward you. But at the same time, um, you know, this is, you know, we do these to give the current roster of superstars kind of a, a glimpse of the road that has been paved to where they are right now. And, you know, over the course of 26 years, which is, uh, you know, how long the MWO has been around, you know, there's been a lot of people who have come in and out of our doors who have made significant contributions and made huge impacts on where we are right now. And this is kind of paying tribute to all of that. Um, 1999, we're going to pick this up. Um, probably in the, I guess in the spring of 99, um, we had come off a successful 1998, uh, successful in terms of, you know, people were paying attention to the product. Um, I mean, we still weren't having huge crowds. Um, and as with each and every passing event, you could see those numbers really drop off after we started to have um, like a rebirth in some sense. In, in 1998, we got a bunch of new talent and, um, you know, but some would stay, some would go, some would um, really try to make an impact, make, make their own name. 
And, uh, but that's still, I mean, we were still at a point to where several, uh, several of us were doing double duty for live events. You know, we would perform as ourselves or our personal personas, and then we would go backstage and throw on a different costume, mask, whatever the case may be, and come out as a totally different character. That's just where we were at that time. Uh, but we started to get more guys specifically and you know once they they started to get word that the MWO was was in existence and were running shows at the Lapeer County Center building word started to spread relatively quickly and uh it it seemed like for a while there at every event I was having a meeting afterwards with somebody who was interested in coming on board and some of them really, um, you know, they 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 took to it like a fish to water. Uh, one example that stands out is this young kid, um, Willie Wildcat Bradshaw. Willie Bradshaw was his, you know, real name. We threw the Wildcat moniker in there, and um, you know, he he was young. Um, he didn't have the specific body of an athlete, um, but man, when it came time to go, he could go, and he really became very quickly a a name at you know at our live events. He would you know in short order become the Great Lakes champion, became a member of the Bad Blood faction that was headed up by the Marauder Todd Grossbauer. Um, Grossbauer was still very much involved in in this thing. Um, but going into, uh, Russell Rama five, which, uh, would be held in July of 99. Uh, we knew preparing for that, that, you know, one of two things was going to happen. Either we were going to have an, uh, an awesome show or it was, it was going to shit the bed. And, um, we really made a made a concentrated effort on building these storylines and at the time before internet really became a thing and before we had a you know our own website and and all this other stuff it was newsletters that i was writing and um that kind of gave the backstories and the news and previews and things. I mean, it was the official publication of the MWO. I put a lot of time and effort each and every month because fans wanted to start buying a subscription to this thing. And, uh, I was still learning how I was still learning my way around how to use different publishing programs on on, a, on the computer something i had always been interested in um, went to votech for it um in in lapeer county during my junior and senior year and uh it really what i learned in votech really helped me out e even to this day you know now that i'm into um you know, I make the different graphics and stuff for MWO events, the flyers, and then we start getting into t-shirt printing. And, you know, there's there's a lot of what I learned from Votech that goes into the creation of, of a t-shirt design. Um, going into 99, um, we knew that we were kind of at a crossroads. And um, I was really... Um, looking for that that big hit. Now, our equipment at this time was still very much substandard. I mean, we had things that kind of looked like a ring, but by no stretch of the imagination isn't anything like what we have nowadays. Um, my brother Jeff decided to get back into the fold probably around... March or April of 99. Um, truth be told, the relationship between Jeff and I, um, really, I, I, on a personal level, it wasn't where I would say was ideal. I mean, we, 
we still loved each other and everything, but we didn't really see a whole lot of each other. And um, I don't know if 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 it was something that like he didn't have anything else to do at that time, or he was, you know, trying to um, really help me out, knowing how how desperate I was getting to make this company a success and in fact I think it was over Easter I I had told him that I wasn't sure how much longer I was going to be doing the MWO because things just were not clicking and I think he saw how bothered I was by all that and um, he pitched an idea to me of coming in as as a masked character so he didn't have to and these were his words. And lo- looking back, I can totally understand it. He's like, I want to become my own star without living in, in your shadow. And I could totally understand that. And I had actually, uh, you got you to gotta remember, you know, in, in the late 90s, wrestling merchandise was all over the place. You could not walk into a store without seeing either an Austin 316 t-shirt or a New World Order t-shirt. Um, wrestling was, you know, in its boom period, the whole Attitude Era, uh, era the Monday Night Wars. Um, although at this point, you know, WWF was really pulling ahead from WCW and and, uh, I mean, it was a war for ratings, but I mean, Monday Night Raw was just dominating it at, at this point. <clears throat> um, so you, I mean, it was very easy to go into a hot topic and within a matter of 10 or 15 minutes come out with, um, eh, respectable looking gear for the lack of better term. They were selling, you know, Lucha Libre masks and, and, and different kinds of pants made all made out of all kinds of different material, pleather, spandex, you know, what what have you. Um, I had actually bought a blue mask, um, Lucha Libre mask, and um, as Jeff was kind of pitching this idea that he wanted to come back as a masked character, something totally different than what he had last been seen doing. Um, Cause he had left the company in 97 and uh, you know, he just kind of stayed away from it. Yeah. I don't blame him. You know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was, it was really something to behold, you know, but um, I, told him that I had this mask and I showed it to him and we sat at, at the table at, and you know, on, on Easter Sunday and came up with this, um, this character idea of the blue bomber and, uh, the blue bomber would be, you know, we were, we would try to write him in as a baby face, a good guy. And just kind of see where we were because, you know, the MWO side was at the, you know, in, embroiled in this rivalry with Gross Bauer's Bad Blood Faction. And we needed some strong baby faces. Um, at this point, um, our, our baby faces were um, outnumbered i i guess for for the lack of better terms in in fact we had uh been forced to turn a couple of strong heels as baby faces um just to kind of balance the the shift out a, a little bit and to further the, the storylines too um the, the big one here was skulls because skulls was um had been brought in as uh, the dominant heel, you know, bad guy, and it was aligned with bad blood and, you know, was really, um, you know, did everything that, that the character could to get over as a heel. But the, the fans that did come and watch every show, the more and more they saw Skulls, the more and more cheers he got. So it was a natural fit for Gross Bauer to 
have his have his guys you know j- jump him and kick him out of the group and which started this rivalry and uh, really that's where Will- Willie Bradshaw really you know his star really started to rise because it was uh it was Bradshaw that would uh, wind up winning the Great Lakes title from skulls and um you know they were embroiled in in their own rivalries so i mean it it all kind of made sense and it all worked out now um in may um my brother would debut as the blue bomber and he did moves that he didn't usually do you know he really tried to expand his arsenal you know, do different things, learn different techniques. And, uh, you know, because the mask was, had sequins on it, he wore bright blue pants and, and everything. He really became an instant fan favorite. And, um, we decided as we were doing these live events, I mean, we, we were doing them like once every two or three weeks just to try to get some practice in and, um, and to build the storylines for WrestleRama. So we, um, we really went to great lengths to put WrestleRama 5 together and have it be a historic show. Um, Initial Destruction we're we're still on board they were actually they had actually come to me in may and said that they uh they had to leave the company um initial destruction was portrayed by the reynolds brothers and they had been undefeated and um the tag team champions for well over a year at this point and um, they wanted to put over a couple of guys that were really struggling. And they had actually pitched the idea of uh, two, for the lack of a better term, jobbers. They never won a match. Uh, they were secondary characters, to, to be honest with you, um, both under hoods. One was called Mystery. The other one was the Chicago Shocker. And... Um, we decided that we were going to put them together as a tag team called uh, the Underdogs. And um, for the few that were at every single show, when the announcement was made that the Underdogs were going to be put together to challenge initial destruction for the tag belts at WrestleRama 5, it was one of those things where the Underdogs had absolutely no, no chance because initial destruction had been so dominant. And they were so good in the ring. They they could they could turn anything. They could take anybody and make them look good. And they had such a positive influence backstage. And I was really bummed out that that they were leaving. Uh, but their their personal obligations were preventing them from um, being in in the company to be a part of the shows and, and things of this nature. So I understood that, um, it sucked. I, I was bummed, but, um, you know, they had a, a tremendous run here in, in the MWO. Um, so we knew, uh, we needed to have a pretty big main event for, um, WrestleRama 5, we decided that we were going to do a triple threat match. At the time, I was the MWO champion, so I would be defending the title, and it would be assumed that um, uh, I would be taking on a member of Grossbauer's Bad Blood Faction. Um, But... uh, with initial destruction leaving and Bradshaw's availability becoming um, sketchy at best, uh, we we were nervous about booking a bad blood member in in the match in, in in fear that when we got to the day of the show they wouldn't be there. So um, we had decided that we were going to do the triple threat for the title. It would be I would be champion. We knew that Skulls was going to be there, and we had kind of big plans for the Skulls character, so we were going to put 
skulls in the second slot of that triple threat and then now we had to figure out who we were going to have um be in the third third spot to round out the this uh three-way championship match um it didn't take us long to figure out that the blue bomber was over and was very popular and um we uh bomber and myself um had we were booked to have a match a, a one-on-one match and of course it got thrown out as soon as the match started a lot of outsider interference a lot of gaga as they say um so we weren't we didn't have that one match but we knew and this was the purpose for for booking the angle the way that we did we knew that giving bomber the bomber character that that rub that you know sprinkle a little basher dust um was really going to be the thing to put him over the top and make him a you know in the eyes of the fans a legitimate contender a legitimate threat a legitimate star in in the company and he wasn't just some secondary character now um as we were getting closer to WrestleRama 5, um, and now this is probably early June, um, just like, you, you know, we usually do, we had a pre-show meeting, and this is what's going on, and this is what, what we're working for. And you could tell that a lot of the guys just were not invested, because probably, and a lot of them probably because... Um, they weren't booked to win on the day of WrestleRama, or they weren't happy with the direction of of their of their characters and their storylines. Um, but a lot of them who were booked the way that they were, much like we do now, you know, everything is centered around the people that we know are going to be there, that are reliable, that are that are loyal, that are going to you know. I don't have to worry about whether or not they're going to show up. If they don't show up, it's because something serious has happened or some sort of of, of snag has prevented them from coming. So, yeah, I booked a lot of, of our core storylines, especially around our titles, um, around the people that I knew were going to be there because too often we would get to the day of a show and an advertised match couldn't happen and an advancement of the storyline couldn't happen because we didn't have one or more key parts of those storylines. Um, you know, I knew I was going to be at WrestleRama. I knew the skulls character was going to be at WrestleRama and I knew that the blue bomber would be at WrestleRama. So that was your main event. So we, uh, dealing with continued negativity in the locker room really really started to weigh heavy on me it it started to get to a point to where i was not having fun and i started to dread the um everything that goes into putting in a live event like i really started to become it started causing me anxiety because i hate arguing with people i don't like arguing I don't like conflict. I don't like negativity. And it just seemed to be a constant thing. And Grossbauer and I, you know, talked about it. I'm like, man, we got to do something about this because it's it's getting really stupid. Um, so we just kind of, we, we did what we could to make everybody happy, but you're not going to make everybody happy. You know, they don't understand that there's like a, you know, a big story attached to these, these individual chapters, you know, these individual live events that are setting up for something bigger, the payoff, the blow off, what, whatever the, the case may be. But, um, you know, you just, you know, I started to learn early on, you are not going to make every single person happy. But uh, I was optimistic, man. I, I was real optimistic for WrestleRama. I, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was very, 
I was very excited for the people that um, we had built these storylines around, the ones that it actually meant something you could tell increasingly much. So um, just who just who was not happy, who was running their mouth, who was doing everything they could to create some sort of disturbance in in the dressing room. Now we get to WrestleRama and um WrestleRama 5 was was the day that I I decided that something had to change and it had to change now and it had to be dramatic and it had to shake the entire company because on that day we may have had a dozen people in in, in the crowd watching um the guys who were invested, the guys who were focused, the guys that you could tell, I mean, they, they, they did everything they could to um, bring professionalism to the show. You, you could tell who was really putting in the effort and not just going through the motions. Um, the other ones um, really, you know, they were like on autopilot. There was no emotion. There was no um, sense of urgency. There was nothing. You know, it, it it was very sloppy, very unorganized, very um, unprofessional in, in, in my view. And I really started, you know, throughout going up to the main event, I was getting really more and more frustrated. Um, we almost had a fight breakout backstage between Mike Reynolds and uh, uh, Bradshaw. Um, Bradshaw had said something uh, derogatory about uh, about the company, about the show, and um, the Reynolds brothers have always been some of my biggest cheerleaders. So when one of them heard that, it really lit a fire under their ass, you know. Um, cause they were coming, they were going to bat for me and, uh, I don't know, you know, they had already told me that WrestleRama five was going to be their last show. I, and had they not told me, I kind of wonder if it would have been anyway, you know, they were that, they, they were disappointed. They were disgusted by what, what was going on and they, you know, again, their personal obligations just would not allow them to be here on a regular basis. Um, myself, Skulls, and Jeff, under the blue bomber mask, um, went to the corner of our dressing area. Uh, we had actually partitioned off um, more than a quarter of the center building to use as our dressing area. We had gone in the very back of the building, uh, in the corner, and kind of mapped everything out. We knew it was elimination. Um, so we knew that Skulls was going to be the first one eliminated from the match, went through the motions of how we were going to do it, and then it would come down to uh, myself and the Bomber, which at the time were the two most popular performers, the most popular stars in, in the company. Um, the fans that were in the center building were ones that attended the majority of the events. They knew the backstory. They knew the characters. So they were invested. And during the time of the match, once Skulls had been ousted from the match and it came down to me and the Blue Bomber, um, it, I would liken it to, it was kind of like our version of Hogan and Warrior. In terms of the crowd was split. Bomber had his fans, I had mine. Um, and it really, really became, I mean, that that was the one point of the day where I was so energized because we were both feeding off of um, of the crowd. And they were invested in what, in what we were doing. And because it was my brother under the hood and because we had spent so much of our childhood screwing around in our backyard and um you know practicing moves on my parents bed when they were at work to the point to where we broke the damn frame um you know we 
had everything pretty much well laid out and and it was executing on all cylinders it was being executed on all cylinders and um we knew that we were going to have the bombers score the the surprise win uh with a small package and um he you know we would start this new era as the blue bomber as mwo champion um and he would have been the first masked champion in our history heavyweight champion anyway now going into uh the finish of the match um we had it to where the marauder todd grossbauer would come down the aisle and uh you know our fans knew who he was and just how how despised he was so upon his walk down the aisle towards the ring area uh the fans really started to feed off of that too and you know the story was what is gross bauer doing out here with the two most popular guys in in the company um gross bauer provided the distraction for me that's how i got rolled up in the small package by the blue bomber um who at while the, all this is going on he's like oh my gosh i didn't realize what was happening I, blah 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 so he wins the match wins the title um has his moment in, in the ring and i'm kind of sitting in the corner uh up against the ropes you know with just outlook uh, outright disgust on my face you know storyline driven of course and I was like, well, you know, I'm thinking to myself, here we go. We're going to try something else with this Blue Bomber character and, um, you know, just kind of see where it goes from here. And then this is where things go off the script. Um, yeah, we knew Gross Bauer was going to be there. But what I didn't know is that Jeff and Todd had talked amongst each other and provided one of those what-ifs scenarios. So um, the bomber has the title, and he meets Grossbauer in, in the aisle. And I'm like, what What are they doing? And I, I remember just watching them thinking, what, what the hell are they doing? And uh, Jeff went ahead and took the mask off <laughs> in in the middle of the aisle to reveal that he was the blue bomber and oh my god the amount of booze from a very select group of people um uh, just an an overall shock over Jeff revealing himself as the blue bomber which again was not planned that was not part of the storyline that was that was simply him going into business for himself on that day. And he did it because he was feeding off the energy of the crowd. They were wondering, what is the Blue Bomber standing with the Marauder Todd Grossbauer for? And then, um, you know, he, he saw an opportunity, I guess. He just got it in, in his head at that particular moment that he was going to take take that mask off and reveal that it was him and subsequently just killing off that character. I mean, instantly. Just just shut the lights right off on him. And uh I I was I was a, a number of things watching it happen. First of all, I was pissed off because they went off script. Number two, I was like, wow. What what a genius thing to do what what a genius thing just to feed off of what was happening in a live events scenario um jeff fed off that he made a decision i what you know we of course he and i talked about it after the fact but um and and it wound up working for the short term because you know post wrestlerama um you know that got a lot of interest from from our fan base that uh Jeff Klaus was the blue bomber and had rejoined bad blood with his brother's arch enemy you know so i mean the storyline was simple but effective 
Um, now, as you can imagine, uh, for the guys who were backstage watching all this unfold, a lot of them got pretty upset over um, over the fact that the that the championship was around the waist of a Klaus still. Not me this time, but rather my brother. And it really started to cause a lot of issues. And um, we went into Summer Smash the next month. And um, Su- Summer Smash was was really the the period at the end of of that of that particular chapter of of the of the company's history because um there was a lot more negative than there was positive and that's not taking away anything from the matches that that we had because we had you know a few good matches that were very very well orchestrated and performed um but the backstage man it, it it was terrible and um we went into i started doing these things we started to get um hired to be live entertainment for parties and um a friend of ours was having this big old barn party um to commemorate september 9th of 1999 nine nine of 99 right so he wanted to have this big big party with his friends he wanted us to come in and do like a mini show and uh, I agreed at this point Jeff had um, Jeff started to revert back to his um, how do I say egotistical time and he was becoming increasingly difficult to deal with uh, in terms of booking and uh I had said something about him dropping the championship so that we have this time stamp on our history. Um, so he <laughs> uh, did not want to lose the title. Um, he did not want to, but at the same time, um, he had he had missed like two live events since winning the title because he was off doing his own thing. And I'm like, Jeff, I, you know, this may not mean anything to you, but I've got to, you know, have that title here. I got to have the champion here. And, uh, I says, why, why don't we drop the title on September the 9th? Have you dropped the title on on September 9th and cuts me off in mid sentence. He's like, I don't care who it is as long as it's not you because I don't want you to beat me for the title. And uh, I said, fine, you know, we'll figure something out. Just be in Attica on on September 9th, and, and we'll work it out. And um, he did. He he came to Attica on, uh, on September 9th, knowing that he was going to be dropping the championship. Um, it was decided that Skulls would be the one to take the title. And, um, and he did the honors, you know, he, I I wouldn't say it was one of his finest in-ring performances, but it was passable for what it was. And Skulls, for the first time in that character's career, was now the MWO champion. Now, um, as you can imagine, um, things behind the scenes were not improving at all. And, um, I had a late, late night meeting with Grossbauer and I kind of, I said, we got to draw the line in the sand here, bro. And he, he understood he was supportive. Um, he knew he, knew, he more than anybody knew exactly where I, where I was at, at this point. And I said, you don't have to be here for this meeting because you are not I don't want any of this heat coming back on you because this is you know this is something that I've I'm deciding and I called for a company-wide meeting and it was at the center building and um, for the first time ever I had assigned seats 
each chair and I had three rows of seats and each one of them had a name on the backs of the seats so people knew where I wanted them to sit. And I, uh, <clears throat> there was kind of a small aisle way between, you know, kind of splitting the the sections of seats, you know, left side, right side, both were about three rows deep. And um, to their credit, just about 97% of the roster uh, showed up, you know, so we're talking about at this point, 15, 16, 17 guys, I guess. Uh, 20, if you want to count the my friends who are volunteering behind the scenes to run the door and things of that nature. And I st stood up in front of them and uh, slammed my notebook on the table and just went to town. And uh, it was probably the first time I had ever had an R-rated meeting with my roster just based on the uh, language that I was using, but I I had reached my breaking point. And uh, once I got through what, you know, kind of setting up where I was going with it, I, I put my hand out, out in front of me and I said, all of you who are on this section, which would have been my right, I said, I appreciate all that you have done for our, for our company in the time that you have been here. But at this point, you are deemed part of the problem as to why this organization is not going anywhere and why morale is at an all-time low. I thank you for your time and your contributions here, but your um, association with this company is, has now come to an end. I am terminating all of you and you will not work for another live event for me. To those of you on the left side of me here, if you choose to follow them out the door, you are welcome to, to do so. But if you stay to work for the company, understand that the shit changes now. And it's going to be a new approach by how, how we're doing things. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to start going somewhere upward in, in in the company, but it's going to be everybody all hands on deck. It's not going to be one or two people trying to tow the boat for everybody else while they're doing nothing to help the company that is providing them an opportunity to live out a dream. And I, with that, I, you know, I wish them well and to let me know what, what they thought. And I was fully prepared to walk out in the parking lot and get my ass beat. And, uh, you know, because these guys were brought in and they were, they were told that they would no longer be working for the company. And some of them, you, you, you could see the shock. And there was kind of, uh, there was more than a few audible gasps. And, uh, but I mean, it, is, it was what it was. I, I was over it. I was done. And, uh. To my surprise, um, when I w went out to my car, uh, there was two guys that were uh, on the fire that were, had been let go that were waiting by my car. And I'm like, well, you know, here we go, you know. <clears throat> now, surprisingly, uh, both of them apologized. Uh, they didn't realize that I was at where I was at you know, mentally with, with this thing. And they thanked me for the opportunity. The one asked if there was any way of getting, you know, being brought back into the promotion. I said, no, not right now. And that was the last time I ever heard from them. So, um, with, I mean, with one false swoop, man, I, I axed over half of, of the roster and I had a shell of one remaining, and uh, so we knew we had to do something to get, uh, we had to start from the inside out and we had to find new talent. And um, at the time I was working as a security guard um, at the center building during the nights that they had bingo there during the week. Uh, su subsequently, that would lead me to becoming um, chairman of uh, the bingo that was 
that was created to help offset the um, the bills of running the the center building. But that's another time. That's a that that's a story for another time. I had created a um, a flyer and uh, looking for wrestlers, managers, announcers, and I put it on the bulletin board at the center building and a couple of other places around Lapeer. And um, it was probably a week after I posted the first one, and I got a phone call from Josh Hicks. Um, Josh Hicks, you probably know him better if you are a wrestling fan in this area as Big Skinny. And um, immediately upon talking to him, because he's got that that deep, that booming voice, you know. I, I, I could and just listening to what he was telling me and the experiences that he had. He had seen the flyer, wanted an opportunity, and um I agreed to meet with him. I, I was a little bit taken aback by how big he really was. And um he real quick started pitching, you know, different ideas and this is the character he wanted to do and it was something like, wow, this is th- this is different and he's big and he's got a unique look and he's got an awesome voice and he's got it. Um a personality I mean off the charts. Right after um I had talked to Josh, I had gotten a call or no i think uh tim rainey actually came up to the center building to talk with me and um, at the time he had a girlfriend or fiance and um you know women in the mwo was practically non-existent so and she wasn't just as interested in coming into the company as the handler for this wild man character that Rainey wanted to do. Um, Kind of a throwback to an 80s headbanger. Uh, He would call himself Metalhead, and she would call herself Sassy Cassie, I believe was the name. And I thought, wow, that's... That's different. That's something that we've never done here before. And then, you know, I was like, okay, so we've got these two new characters, very unique, very unorthodox, very different than what we had been presenting. And then I got the call from Adam Osborne. And Adam, I believe somebody in the ruckus group knew Tim Rainey, I, I believe. And that's how they came to be. Um, I got the call from Adam and that, uh, there was three, possibly four of them who were told about, uh, MWO. They wanted to come in, but they wanted to be a group. They wanted to be called ruckus. And, um, you know, they were, they were, you know, the juggalos, you know, they're very much into ICP and, and, um, you know, they hung out together in real life and they really had a tight, tight bond. And they wound up bringing at the time, like f- four, four or five guys with them. And, uh, re- it really started to fill out the vacancies from the mass firing that, that I had, you know, f- a few months prior, um, as we're going into the year 2000, we knew that WrestleRama 6 was going to be the the launching point of this new era. And um, we had continued the storylines as best as we could. We turned um, the very popular Demons of War, the original Demons of War, we had turned them heels, split them up into um, a si- single uh, characters, and uh, my character had actually become um, involved in a feud with Fireball, um, who, at the, my opinion, was the more prolific of the two. I mean, Pitchfork had his own his own time. He was Great Lakes champion. He, you know, made a name for himself. But Fireball was one, was the one that I was really interested in working with, and we started to build that up for for WrestleRama. Um, we, uh, Skulls, 
was still the MWO champion at that time. He would actually go into Wrestle Rama as defending champion, and um, we would use Wrestle Rama Six as really a launching point to um, the new era for the company. You had Big Skinny, you had um, Ruckus, you had Metalhead, um, Crocodile Creed was uh was coming in into the company he was also a friend of the ruckus crew um and we started to get more local talent in too you know from the the lapeer area and uh we knew going into wrestlerama 6 that we were going to be on onto something a lot bigger than what we had anticipated and a lot of that is is due to the ideas the input from from big skinny and in some regards to to metalhead you know a, a tim rainey um ruckus uh had a very big following um and we knew just just based on the buzz that they were going to be brought into the mwo on this day you know, we knew we were going to draw more eyeballs because all of their friends and, and, you know, the ones that they were close to Josh too, for, for that matter, um, very big, very big cheering section for, for big skinny. And we really started to lay the groundwork for what I truly felt was going to be the launch of a new era. And as we got to WrestleRama six, and you know the week leading up to it we knew that we were on to something so um it's it's just amazing how you know you start at point a with these ideas with with these plans and they just take detour after detour and take you into a totally different you know a direction i guess for for the lack of better term so um WrestleRama six is is could be a topic onto his own. So I think we will uh, stop here in terms of um, you know this episode and and the events leading up to what would truly be the the ushering in of a new era. So um, certainly a very interesting time for the Michigan wrestling organization at, at that point. But, uh, uh, we are going to stop right there. We're going to take a quick timeout. And then, uh, when we come back, I'm going to kind of let you in on some of the plans for Klaus to the heart as we, uh, look to the coming weeks and months, uh, stick around. We'll, we will be right back. All right, we are going to take a quick time out here for me to tell you about my friend Jeff Simmons and his new podcast that is also being offered through Anchor.fm. If you are a wrestling fan specifically of old school as well as, as today's product, I encourage you to check out Vacant Championship Wrestling Podcast by my friend Jeff Simmons. Jeff goes in into detail every week on his shows reviewing AEW and uh, the various brands of WWE, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, as well as diving into older topics of conversation from the golden era of professional wrestling or the Attitude Era. But whether you're a fan of today's product or the old school, check out Jeff Simmons' Vacant Championship Wrestling Podcast exclusively on Anchor.fm. Wrapping up this episode of the Claws to the Heart podcast, allow me one more time to just say thank you for all of your continued support. Those of you who take time out of your day to listen to whether it be this podcast or you watch the YouTube show. Um, you know, self-admittedly, the whole Claws to the Heart project is something that is it, it it's becoming more and more of of a destination for me because it allows me opportunity to really get things off my chest for the you know for the lack of better terms and as this episode would imply it gives me an opportunity to look back 
on my story, you know, in, in, in different aspects of it, kind of, I guess, you know, at the bare minimum, uh, these shows would be something that my kids could look back on, um, you know, long after I'm gone and, uh, just get a, a kind of an understanding of their dad and, um, what, what makes him tick, right? So, because I, you know, I certainly moved to the beat of my own drummer. There is no doubt about that. But um, the Klaus of the Heart thing is really, it's it's a dream. It's me living out a dream on more levels than just professional wrestling. I've spent over half my life uh, trying to build a pro wrestling company to give men and women an opportunity to live out their dreams just as I've had to. No, I have not headlined WrestleMania, and no, I don't have any paychecks with Vince McMahon's signature on it. But I am. I when I look back on my wrestling career, I, I I'm very proud um, for the road that I have taken. Because, yeah, it's taught me a lot in terms of running a wrestling business, but it, it, I've really learned a lot on how to deal with people individually and, and to give people an opportunity to give people a chance, um, to kind of state their own case, you know, to tell their own story. Um, there's so many things that I want to do with Klaus to the heart. Um, and granted you know, I understand, you know, my content, the things that I talk about, they're not for everybody. And, and I realize that. Um, but, uh, you know, as long as people are, are, are listening and I go and I look at the numbers, as long as I've got one or two people listening, I'm going to keep doing these things. Um, certainly I would, I I would like the numbers to be a lot higher than they are, but I think that's, you know, a lot of that is just because I'm still kind of finding out what I want to do with the show. Um, so we, I've kind of created this Klaus to the heart umbrella, you know, and it's going to be split up into different regular, uh, for the lack of better term sessions. Um, the podcast here through anchor.fm is going to be one section uh that is something that i can do on my own um at whenever i have an opportunity or have a desire to record a podcast on on a a subject or a variety of subjects that i think would provide some sort of entertainment for people the youtube channel is where it's really going to get um split because um i've i started um, several weeks ago doing these conversations that I would record on Skype and then upload to the YouTube channel. And I've gotten the feedback that I've gotten from that has been overwhelmingly positive. And, um, so I, I want to continue to do that. I don't have a lot of electronic capabilities in terms of, you know, recording with multiple people and putting it on video. I, you know, that's still a lot of things in the works, but, um, I am also, um, along with YouTube, the conversations with whoever the case may be is going to be its own entity on the YouTube channel. I'm going to start a second entity on the YouTube channel. It'll still be on the Klaus to the Heart channel, um, but it's going to be a two-man show with myself and my longtime close personal friend, Jason Cloyd. And uh, that's going to be a video show that he and I are going to do as often as we can. Um, He's got his... um, He's got his um, his life, you know, he has his own career. Um, I have mine. So we're going to make a conscious effort to get together. We're going to try at least once a week, um, just kind of tackle a topic or topics and just have a conversation between two long time friends, brothers, if, if you will. Uh, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And, um, 
just uh, I I would encourage you to keep you know keep tabs on the Claws of the Heart Facebook page and Twitter, and uh, we will um, put on all the updates, all the links. You know, if you're digging what what we're doing, I certainly appreciate your feedback, your support. Uh, you can always send us an email at Claws of the Heart at gmail dot com. Um, or you can send us a comment through Facebook. Just look for Close to the Heart. So with that, um, thank you so much for spending time with us on this episode. Uh, take care of yourselves and, and each other. And we will see you next time right here on Close to the Heart.